0: Throw another log on the fire as Broken Laces has two interviews for you today. Hi, my name is Riley Smith, and today we interview two youths who will define how our communities shape our public lands going forward. Two friends of the podcast, Tigran Nahabedian and Anna Gibbons, discuss their experience as ambassadors of our state and national parks. Tigran is a member of the NPS Junior Ranger Program and National Park Trust student buddy Bison Ambassador, and Anna has spent two summers as a state park ranger in various Oregon state parks. Both talk about how they came to love their local parks, why they serve park interests, and share their favorite hikes and places. Tigran is up first, so let's hit the trailhead. Hey Tigran. Hello. How you doing?
1: Uh, very good. How
0: about you? I'm doing well. It's been, been a little bit over a year since we last ran into each other and, and met you formally. Um, our first, what is it, student bu- student buddy Bison ambassador? Or it's buddy uh, Bison ambassador. Yes,
1: yeah, first student buddy Bison ambassador.
0: There you go. So I know you're a part of the Junior Ranger program as well. And that's why I wanted wanted to have you on the podcast is because I feel like our kids and how they engage in the parks is as important as ever. And I feel like you have the background to share that with us. Definitely. So I'd love to just learn right out of the gate. Tell me how you got involved in the Junior Ranger program. And what do you do? I don't know if you're required to do things or just kind of on your own time, how you kind of engage in that program currently.
1: Alright, so my first ever experience in a national park when I was five years old, and I went over to Channel Islands National Park. So, first, um, on the boat ride to Santa Cruz Island, a park naturalist gave me a little booklet called the Junior Ranger Program. And this booklet was filled with tons of activities to do at the park, and I was really excited to do them. As soon as we landed, my dad handed me a camera and said, Go take as many photos as I could. So, I followed some of the activities in the booklet, did a few hikes, and I actually got to see one of the cutest animals ever, the island fox. That's right. The island fox is um, a fox that was on the endangered species list for the longest time. It's made an excellent recovery, and indeed, one of the best um, recoveries of any animal off the endangered species list. It's um, a fox about the size of a house cat, and I took so many photos that by the end of the day... All the storage on the camera is full.
0: (laughs) Well, they're cute little creatures. I've been out there, and it's one of the first things that you encounter. They've probably become a little bit of adapted to seeing humans, but they're just kind of around, hanging out. And so I could imagine at your age seeing them and just thinking, this is the most amazing thing ever.
1: Yeah, um, I was so impressed. In fact, um, after I did my Junior Ranger program and got that first Junior Ranger badge, I thought that was one of the best experiences of my life at the time, and I wanted to explore more parks and do that again. So um, that's what led me on my journey. I explored many more parks in the California area, and um, I eventually became the first person at Islands National Park to complete their new Junior Ranger program, the Underwater Explorer program.
0: Gotcha. And so you're you're starting to get involved in this. You're visiting more parks. I know you're picking up like badges and, and kind of merits, if you will. Is, is it, is it just become like a competition at that point? Or are you starting to get formally involved with those who lead the program from the national park service?
1: So, um, at that point, uh, it's, I'm not really thinking it as a competition. Right. It's more like, you know, just uh, something to remember each of my visits by. Um, junior ranger programs help guide my activities in national parks. So they have things like, say, uh, what hikes uh, are nice ones to go on at what time of year you're visiting. So um, there are very um, helpful things inside of them that I like to, that's why I like to do them.
0: And so, so you've, you've now kind of entered this junior ranger program and you're doing the activities. And then how do you find out about the, the, the Buddy Bison student ambassador program?
1: I was invited to go represent the Let's Move Outside program in Washington, D.C. at the mm-hmm. White House. And um, while I was in D.C., the director of the National Park Trust offered me if I want to become a student Buddy Bison ambassador. And um, what that's all about is um, their mascot, Buddy Bison, is um, in National Park stores. And all the money from Buddy Bison sales goes to bringing children in Title I schools who wouldn't be able to go to National Parks out to their local park to get their experience in the outdoors, which is really great cause.
0: Nice. And there's there's how many of you at this point?
1: Um, there are currently four student buddy by There you
0: actors. go. So we are talking to one of the originators, one of the, one of the originals of, of the program. So that's really cool. And so how, how long have you been involved in that?
1: Uh, let's see. I've been involved since 2015.
0: And is there anything that in that program that has stood out in terms of your participation of, of having really enjoyed, uh, you know, what comes of it?
1: Uh, well, one thing that I really enjoy about um, being a student buddy best ambassador is getting kids connected to national parks. Um, definitely that first visit to Charnas National Park completely changed my life. And I want every other kid to be able to have that same experience.
0: Right. And that, that was kind of a perfect segue into my next question of why, why should kids go to parks, uh, whether they be their local, their regional, national parks? Like, what do you think it provides beyond just kind of a few hours outside the house?
1: So, um, national parks are very important to kids for many reasons. First of all, they are extremely fun to explore, take photos, and play in the outdoors. Also, they teach important lessons and skills, such as perseverance, leadership, and also um, self-confidence. These are all very important skills for kids to learn, and um, national park visits um, allow them to do that.
0: Awesome. And the last thing that I wanted to touch on uh, as I'm thinking more about it, I, I know the first national park that you went to was the Channel Islands. and of the nine national parks in California, that's probably the one that's the that's most overlooked, probably because you have to get on a boat to get to it. Um, but what what beyond you know being your first national park and, and your dad being involved in the Channel Island Park Foundation makes it makes it special to you.
1: Well, Chinese National Park, it's almost like a completely different world out there. Um, One of the things that they pride in is being what California might have looked like much longer before we Mm -hmm. all uh, came and uh, built cities and did all this. Um, It's completely different. It's a place to um, take photos, a place to have fun out there. It's truly a beautiful landscape and a place for, um, all sorts of plants and animals are.
0: In terms of, uh, your engagement with the National Park Trust and with the Junior Ranger Program, do you have anything that's upcoming that you would love to talk about?
1: So, um, May 18th is Kids to Parks Day. That is a time for all kids and their families to get out and to their local national park and get involved, um, A few national parks are having events. Um, I'm currently trying to set up one at Sherylines National Park. And uh, we can't wait to uh, see you all. Nice.
0: And so before I let you go, I'd love to play a little word association game um, and and get to know you a little bit more, Tigran, in terms of things around the national parks. So I would love to first know the national park you most want to go to that you haven't been to.
1: Um, I'd have to say Glacier National Park, um, which we'll be going this summer.
0: Well, already accomplished. So what do you think it will be after that?
1: Uh, After that, mm, it's a hard choice, but I would have to say every national park I visit is uh, the one I'm excited about. Good,
0: good. That's the easy answer. Uh, Proudest achievement related to the parks?
1: Hmm, My proudest achievement... Well, one thing I have to say is I'm very proud to be able to participate with so many great organizations to help out kids and to get people involved in national parks. These include um, National Park Foundation, National Park Trust, Um, especially during the uh, 2016 centennial year, I um, volunteered for over 201.6 hours um, that year, which was um, definitely I'm glad to be able to uh, help out other people and get involved in something I love.
0: Yeah, isn't it funny that when we talk about the national parks, we often are talking about our favorite hikes, the wildlife experiences, but your answer proves a great point of how many how many organizations and the type of people that you get to meet when you get involved with your regional, state, national parks, and that's what stands out to you. So I think that's just really cool and admirable. What's your favorite? You mentioned the volunteer hours. What's your favorite volunteer activity that you get to do uh, when you when you go out to your parks?
1: So, um, I'd have to give two there because, um, at Challenge National Park, I, um, run the touch table in, um, the Challenge National Park Visitor Center. And that's a great, um, area to run, especially for kids because they get to, um, look at shells and other things from the islands that, um, will show them basically what it's like a hands-on experience. Um, while I'm actually on the islands, though, I love doing restoration work such as invasive plant removal and, um. Also, planting native plants. There's a large program at Anacapa Island dedicated to restoring um, the native plant life. So that's something I like um, volunteering.
0: You mentioned Anacapa Island, and we we kind of glossed over the fact that when we say Channel Islands National Park, there's multiple islands, all with kind of different personalities. I would presume, right?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah.
0: So I've only yeah, I've only been to I believe Santa Barbara. What's what's your favorite island uh, to visit out there?
1: Well, that's a very hard question, but I'd uh, have to say Santa Rosa Island, because there there's a bit of everything. You can hike, you can um, do swimming. There's um, plenty of hikes such as the Torrey Pines, and uh, there's a few very scenic places to explore there. And
0: so my last few questions is the hiking item that every kid should have. If if they are just starting to think about getting into uh, this activity, what, what do they need to bring with them?
1: well, one thing I'd really think is important is, um, carrying extra water and a water filter. Um, right now I use a water filter, one of the little Sawyer ones, um, that I can carry in a pocket and it can get me enough water for an entire trip. Um, it's definitely important to have, you stay hydrated and, um, that be safe out there. Um, that's definitely a good first step. A
0: very practical thing to bring. Absolutely. Uh, let's end with what your favorite hike is. And you can always give me two. Because I always like to provide my listeners at the end some some trail beta, if you will. Uh, and some recommendations for, for some hikes out there.
1: Well, hikes, I have to say my favorite hikes are always going to be the next ones I do. Um, I'm yep. actually... Right now, planning a 100 mile backpacking trip through um, the Escalante River in Utah. So, nice. Uh, yeah, it's definitely going to be a very unique experience. Um, there are quite a few shows, just um, I'd have to say, choose shows um, that are at your skill level and try to expand beyond. It's um, definitely an amazing experience. Everyone's different.
0: Def- definitely. And I'm glad you call it the skill level because when you, when you read easy, moderate, strenuous on a, on a trailhead that those mean different things to different people. So make sure you, you, you step out there, you know, what you're capable of, um, start maybe on, on the, the lower scale of, of easy and, and build your way up. So that's a great call. Well, now I have a reason to call you back after this summer, a hundred mile trail through Escalante river. Is it involved some, some canoeing or is it straight, straight on feet?
1: Uh, It's shade on foot. And um, from what I heard, um, not much of it is on trail, if any. So it's going to be very, very hard.
0: (laughs) Exactly. Very hard. And and I'm assuming pretty hot. I'm sure shade cover is going to be limited. But I know that area of the the world is just beautiful. So happy to hear that you're going to be doing that. I'm going to be checking in with you. I'll post... um, some of the trailhead stats and, and maybe what you're going to do. And if you have some of that, feel free to share it with me so I can put it up online.
1: Yep, definitely. I will.
0: Cool. Well, it was a pleasure to catch up with you, Tigran. Thanks for all that you do. Thanks for being the ambassador that you are to our parks and uh, look forward to talking to you soon.
1: Uh, Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
0: If you enjoy Broken Laces, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, tell a fellow friend about the show, or share on your favorite social media site, preferably the one where you have the most friends. There's no team here at Broken Laces, just me, and I could use the most help spreading the word about the show. If you'd like to support Broken Laces further, you can do so at patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash brokenlaces, pledging as much as you'd like to help offset the cost of producing the show. Consider it like you're buying me a coffee or better yet, sharing a granola bar on the trail. Right now, this is a hobby, but I dream about working in the outdoors industry, and this could be that gateway. My next guest is Anna Gibbons, a recent graduate of St. Mary's College of California. She's originally from Portland, Oregon, having spent a lot of time in the Columbia River Gorge and now lives in the Bay Area. I invited Anna on to this show about youth in the parks to chat about her time becoming a park ranger for two summers. In the Oregon State Park System. Hey, Anna. Hey, Riley. It's nice to talk to you. It's it, it hasn't been too long since I've seen you.
2: It hasn't. It hasn't. I'm so so honored to be here today.
0: Yes, you are. You are part of the allure guest list of season one, and so when you look back in the archives, you can you can point to being one of the first. Woohoo! Yes. So, I, as I just mentioned, uh, in terms of why I'm having you on, uh, I the. The theme of this episode is Youth in the Parks, and you've spent some time uh, as a park ranger in in the Oregon State Park System. So I, I would love to, before hopping into that, just kind of get your your story of how you came to enjoying the outdoors. Um, you know, most kids go on a few hikes with their parents or family or friends, and, and some say, uh, I'm never doing that again, and some stick with it. And, and maybe it's because their parents drag them. Maybe it's because they have a, a fond love for the outdoors. But what, what made it stick for you growing up?
2: Uh, great. So I grew up in Corbett, which is kind of on the west end of the Columbia River Gorge. And I think what started it all was um, its accessibility to a lot of waterfalls and unbelievable viewpoints um, and just really dense woods. Um, And so that was always right outside the door. Um, And so my childhood memories are just like saturated with going outside. And um, as you said, there was a lot of dragging involved. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, and so it, mostly it was my dad who did the dragging um, and he's an arborist. And so with that dragging came just a wealth of knowledge from him um, about the ecology in the Northwest and. Um, a lot of stories of his family hiking and backpacking and having near-death experiences on any given trail that we were conquering. Um, but his passion and love for the outdoors was just this persistent force in my life. And so dragging turned into a volunteering to, um, to go out and hike. Um, so, yeah, it was like a, it was a slow love. Um, but he, again, was very persistent that he was going to have a daughter who was going to enjoy the, the woods as much as he would.
0: That's awesome. And I only can imagine, as an arborist, he's, he's stopping and, and notating and telling you everything, its name. And, and you're like, Dad, come on. Like, I don't need to know every name of every bush and tree out here.
2: That's so accurate. We are, we're pulling invasive weeds on the side of the trail. Uh, There's holly bushes that he would come back and, um, and cut down. There's ivy that he's cursing about. Like, we're getting every life story of every tree that we see. It was exactly like that.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it, it's always been my philosophy: if you can name things, you have a larger appreciation for it. And I, I know, in, in my biology background, I always wish I had more of a naturalist skill set or the classes I took in college. You know, would allow me to name everything that I came across. And so I can I can uh, commiserate with your dad in, in kind of knowing <laughs> the names and, and making you feel more connected to the land.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Everything becomes kind of like an old friend that you you already are familiar with. And you exactly, know. Yeah.
0: An, o- an old friend in this case with the ivy that he cusses at occasionally, <laughs> which which is what old friends are for. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so now you you know you you graduate high school, you end up making the trek down to the Bay Area to attend St. St. Mary's College of California, which is in the East Bay for those who don't know. <laughs> um, and, and now you have like new new land to explore. Um, but I'm assuming it's exciting for you to, to kind of leave home and see more of the different landscapes that are out there.
2: Yeah, it's completely different, um, different climate, different um, ecology uh, in the East Bay versus in the rainforest. Uh, that is where I was from. So it was kind of a shock to my system at first, but um, it was also getting to go on hikes and go on adventures was also um, a kind of a bonding experience for for me to kind of learn about the classmates um, that I met who are from the area, who also have their own stories um, and backgrounds with, with going on hikes. And so, yeah, I got to it was like a whole new world that I got to explore, which was yeah, very exciting. Awesome,
0: and and I'd love for your favorite hikes selections here in a little bit, but I'll, I'll continue with this story, <laughs> and and that is that you stay connected to your home, uh, specifically with the, the Columbia River Gorge, and and spend two summers actually coming back to to be a park ranger. So tell me about your time of now being in a position to kind of be a steward of the parks.
2: Yeah, so um, I started out uh by working at a state park as a barista um and for those of you who are familiar with oregon state parks um i worked at the crown point vista house which is a Mm. hot spot for Mm -hmm. tourism um again it's kind of like the entryway to the gorge it's on the uh old scenic highway which was the original freeway um east to west across the country um, and so I worked in the basement making coffee nice. for four summers. Um, but yeah, it was a state park. And so I got to interact a lot with the park rangers, um, got to be very friendly, really nice. Uh, they were there for all of the emergencies. They were the first responders kind of of the of the gorge. Um, and so that kind of blossomed into a curiosity of, of could I do that? Um, and so, yeah, I applied and got to be a ranger for two summers. Um, the first was in ben Lake, which is a small lake by Multnomah Falls. Um, And then uh, my second most recent summer was spent um, on the Highway Crew, which is kind of going between six parks on the Old Columbia River Highway. Um, And Uh, yeah, ironically, we were also working at the Vista house too. And I became one of those rangers who would stop it and get a lot of coffee.
0: (laughs) So you just took to, you're like, I know how to do this. Let me hop around the desk and, and make my own. Uh, so, so what, so you were just, I think getting into what, what some of those projects were, um, tell me a little bit, I, I don't know if you want to give me your most favorite projects you did as a park ranger, least favorite, or, or kind of just your, your main responsibility during those two summers.
2: Yeah, um, there's a lot. There's a lot to do. Uh, we were really busy. Um, I think my most favorite uh, project involved working with uh, youth crews who spent their summers. Um, it was kind of like a camp. Um, one of them was with uh, Girls Inc. So it was a team of, of girls who came together and we would just hit the trails and we would, it was, the most amazing experience ever. We were all just feeling so lucky to be there, but we would be doing trail maintenance and we would be picking up invasive weeds like Herb Robert, um, which is affectionately called Stinky Bob um, because of the smell that comes off of it, especially when you pick large quantities like we were. Um, so it, right. it, we had like so many diverse jobs, I think as a ranger, um, and you're asked at any given time to, to do something new, especially with the public. I think we're always looking for different initiatives. Um, they started doing kayak tours in the Columbia river when I was there and I was asked to lead, um, tours uh, with like 12 people when we go out and hit the Columbia River. Um, And it was a lot of teaching people what to do in kayaks, as well as um, being a guide um, and doing interpretive work uh, and showing osprey nests and um, giving some of the history of the area. Um, uh, But like these... These are great experiences, but they also weren't the everyday necessarily. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. So, within the everyday, there was just a lot of cleaning toilets um, and the less glamorous side of of what happens when thousands of people are crammed into um, a very small. old area
0: (laughs) it's a different type of stinky bob is what you're saying
2: yeah Yeah. (laughs) there's a lot of stinky bob out there (laughs) yes yes exactly yeah so so i mean yeah it it wasn't a glamorous job by any means but it was um rewarding um there's a lot of horror stories that i won't (laughs) impose on you of some extra stinky moments Uh um involving pit toilets but um (laughs) Yeah, so uh, I mean, that was kind of the everyday. We had a lot of cleaning to do. There was a lot of crowd management, um, and just kind of being a representative of the area and making people feel welcome um, and prepared to to go about their day.
0: Yeah, and it's it's good you cover the the not glamorous portions because the, the people who work in our park aren't all doing the things we all think are mm-hmm. glorified, right? They're not doing these kayak tours 12 hours a day and they're not, you know, showing wildlife and, and and being kind of in the perfect spot at the perfect moment all the time. There's a lot of work behind the scenes, um, not only from a cleanliness perspective, but just like maintaining trails, mm-hmm. trees blow down, like going out and... And making sure that the the trails are clear of that debris. So I I'm I'm glad that you shared some of the non glamorous parts as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. There's there's always a crisis. There's always something going on that we, that we need to rush to to clean up or to pi- fix or repair. Um, exactly. There's there's always a lot going on.
0: And it's just, it's kind of also cool to think about the skills that you develop um, because you have the physical skills that, that are required of the job, but you have a lot of people skills that I'm sure you're developing along the way as well.
2: Yeah. Um, a lot of it, of being a ranger, um, something I noticed happens when you put on a uniform um, and you have a badge and you're wearing these boots and you're in this truck that says, you know, Oregon State Parks. Um, and I noticed that even though I wouldn't say that I am, um, uh, particularly, uh, like tough looking right, or, right. Um, or anything like I did notice that you get kind of treated differently. Um, people watch you a lot, um, as you're, as you're walking around, um, it, you definitely have a spotlight on yourself when, when you have that uniform on, um, and people would, yeah, act differently. Some people, you know, you got to talk to a lot more people than if you were just wearing street Mm -hmm. clothes. Um, you know, a lot of people want to approach you and ask about, um, the history or, or recommendations and that kind of stuff. Um, but also you're kind of a authority figure and, um, People, you know, if they were doing something that they knew they weren't supposed to be doing, they would, you know, have like a lot of anxiety and and, um, look at you guiltily, kind of. And I think um, a lot of what I learned to do was to just acknowledge people that um, kind of acknowledge the fact that I'm no different necessarily than anyone else in the park just because of that uniform. Um, And we're all just kind of here to to have a, a good time and to be in, in the natural beauty. But, um, yeah, to just really like hone, have like heart to hearts with people. Um, and to, you know, if I did need to be that face, that authority voice, um, to, to do it with compassion and, and kindness and, um, to try to like take the badge out of the situation and just kind of explain that you want what's best for them and for their safety.
0: Sure. And I, I would imagine it's, it's a good segue off of that, that, you're one of a few females in in that park ranger attire, and I think a majority of us have that that I, I don't want to call it bias, but you you have an, an imagination of what a park ranger should look like, and so I'm yeah. sure when you're you're walking around um, as a summer park ranger, that it's like oh oh okay, so there's a, there's female park rangers. Did you have any kind of experience or expectations around how how that would be viewed?
2: Um yeah. So we were one of my experiences was we uh I was always paired with um, a male partner, uh, another right. ranger, um who's also a seasonal park ranger. Um right. and just a couple things that I noticed were um yeah, like a little bit of surprise especially from older generations, um, who probably have a more, uh, solid idea of, of what a park ranger looks like, um, when they saw me. And also, um, I just noticed generally questions would be directed to my male counterpart, um, who, I mean, you know, is the sweetest, most capable conscientious person, but, um, just, it was just kind of, the social norm that became um where he would answer questions um more than I would. Um and uh it, it was it was interesting um as a summer would continue just kind of who got to be in those places of authority. Mm-hmm. Um and um I I definitely felt like there was some some discrepancy in general.
0: So to all of our, our females out there, we, we need you in the parks. We need more female park rangers so that all of us can challenge our previous mindset that it's got to be a dude walking around absolutely and i want to kind of end with your expertise on the line here of telling all of our hikers that enter our parks kind of what what they should be doing better when they enter a park based off your experience and and conversely what what park rangers or park management could do better to help uh, provide a better experience for our visitors
2: sure um i think for park visitors, there's the obvious of, um, you know, stay on the trail, um, and, you know, pack up what you bring in. Don't, don't leave trash on the trail. Um, mm-hmm. there's those obvious things. Um, and you know, don't bring fireworks into the, into the woods, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> which, um, is what Please. Yes. cause our Eagle Creek fire. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's the obvious things, but I think, um, one thing that I noticed was a lot of people who maybe aren't as uh, have as much experience with hiking um, or, or being in real natural wild areas is um, there really needs to be a degree of preparedness. Um, I noticed a lot of folks would go into hikes with tennis shoes and maybe a bottle of water and mm-hmm. maybe not. And I just think, um, I think social media has played a role in making just hikes seem more accessible and um, easy. And it kind of, they the photos that you see, um, they kind of, they don't mention the um, kind of risks that are involved with going to these places. You just see a photo sure. and you think, oh, how beautiful, I'm just gonna go to the trailhead and explore and it'll be fine and I'll get my picture and go out. Um, but I think with that, people are kind of losing the sense of, I mean, you're in a wild area and things can happen really fast. Um, you can get injured really quickly and you need to have, um, kind of like those basic things, like have a backpack at the minimum with those basic things to help you right. be prepared.
0: Yeah. And it, I, you bring up an, a great point. Do we see a future where trails are like, you know, no cell phone photos allowed like, you can't take an Instagram picture on mm-hmm. this trail. That's, I don't think that's going to happen, but I'm intrigued by this because then you don't know, you don't have the cheat code, right? You don't know what's at the end of the trail, yeah. and so there's so many of these trails that end with these pictures of you posing on top of a mountain or with a, an overlook onto the river, and like mm-hmm. it's like I want to go do that, um, but you're they're missing the mm-hmm. whole you know four to five miles that leads to that point, and you're you're going straight uphill. Yeah, absolutely,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I know um, if my dad had his way, he would have like it not be possible to leave um, a tag like of your location of where that photo was taken because yeah yeah, it just kind of helps people if you want to find it find it but to for the masses, um, you know, kind of keep, keep them out of these natural areas, but that's (laughs) it.
0: Well, it's a definition of a, of a perfect catch 22. We want more people to have more equitable access to visit our parks, to feel connected, to Mm -hmm. feel like they need to defend them. And at the same time, not go to the exact same trail that everybody else is going to. And, 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 uh, wearing it down beyond its its wild nature, so um, it's something that I think not only state parks are dealing with, but obviously a lot of our most visited national parks. Of how do we how do we provide equitable access, but also provide some sort of limit or a capacity? Um, and I I hear that time and time again when I talk to those involved in the parks. Absolutely. So, I, what conversely should park management, without you, like? You know, I'm assuming you want to be a park ranger again at some point or I don't I don't want to ruin your career trajectory here for you criticizing park management. But what what do you think park management could have done better to to help provide some of the, those enjoyments and access of the park?
2: Uh, so, yeah. So I think I mean, this is a comment that I think park management knows already. Um, but sure. Truly, I think the two things that as rangers, what we do the most is crowd control. Um, there are just so many people in such small areas with such mm-hmm. you know, small infrastructure of parking and restrooms and, and et cetera. Um, and the other thing that we do is waste management. And like this isn't, again, a pretty story, but I know, Riley, we have a deep history in waste management. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, but basically, um, it wouldn't be uncommon for, you know, within the course of, of our day of going from park to park, um, just kind of doing that management, um, to have a entire truck bed full of trash, um, and to, to bring that out not once a day, but twice a day. Um, that was not uncommon to have, uh, just like that volume of trash come out. And, um, I think one thing that, at least I noticed in in these parks was while we had recycling and trash bins, it was really up to the public to sort um, any of their cans and bottles out of the trash, um, which was hardly done, nor made clear or incentivized. Um, and Really, the only way for waste management to happen was for the rangers to sort every time that we picked up a trash bag. And you can imagine if I'm if we're bringing out two truckloads right. of of, of Bags, Like it, and you're already have a busy day, et cetera. Um, this was not the most high priority mission, um, of our, of our days. And even Rangers who cared deeply and were very conscientious, um, of, of parks footprint, like there were an end to that interest of, of wanting to get every can and every bottle. So I would say to park management, like this is just a really basic, um, Task that we need to tackle. Um, it's huge volumes. Um, it's at such a bit large scope with parks that um, we need to incentivize waste management and to create a waste system that that works and that um, isn't so overwhelming like it is right
0: now. Yeah. And it's an interesting debate because you, you either invest more resources into providing um, that education, that infrastructure, those incentives for the people to do it right. And and you provide more. And, and you know, when you provide more and more infrastructure, then that means there's more and more education and more and more work on the rangers' behalf to to clear that mm-hmm. versus like the other situation of just saying, we're not providing anything. And you need to take it back home, and that's—I think—that's a harder story to sell to people. I think that's a harder education mm-hmm. uh, to to provide, but it it might be the easiest solution, in which you're just expected to take it home. Now, uh, you know, on the flip side, you might see more trash on the trails as a result. So, it's waste management. I, I know is also, as I just mentioned, something that's beyond the park that you worked in. You see it across the board and in all of our natural spaces. So, yeah, that's a great, great take on your part. I, I want to end our conversation with uh, the the final segment of any show, and that's that's Trails and Ales. Have, have you heard of Trails and Ales?
2: Have I heard of Trails and Ales? I oh, love Trails and Ales. There you
0: go. Perfect. <laughs> so for those who, you know, this is the first episode they clicked on, Trails and Ales is, is my theory that the the brewery industry as well as the outdoor industry seems so intertwined when you visit one or the other, right? And so often in some of our muse- most beautiful areas and places, there's a local brewery somewhere nearby. And, and I just tend to think that they're intertwined and linked. So I want to ask you for your favorite uh, brewery slash trail combo based off of your experience, either either in Oregon or California.
2: Uh, Well, Riley, you pose a hard question because I love beer and I love hikes and um, yeah, they, they go hand in hand. Um, So I was thinking about it. What what were you going to say?
0: I, I I feel like I have to do a quick ID check. You you are twenty one. I don't want to. I don't want to get called out on this.
2: Yeah. No. I'm twenty two.
0: <laughs> good. Good. All right. We can proceed now because I didn't want people to start freaking out. All right. So you love beer. You love heights. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you for your trail and ale combo uh, Hamilton Mountain. No, oh, this is in Washington. It's also in the gorge, uh, but it's overlooking. Uh, the Columbia River Gorge and I think especially as the gorge is recovering from the wildfire from the fall of 2017 um, it just gives you a beautiful vantage point of the beauty that is the Oregon side Um, but you got to go over to Washington to see it Uh, so (laughs) go climb Hamilton Mountain and then come back down the mountain cross the bridge and go to Cascade Locks where there's Thunder Island Brewery and you can sit by the water by the Columbia River um, and have your uh, have your beer, and they even have a beer named after the wildfires um, that happened. So
0: yeah, and I know a lot of the breweries are supporting um, uh, from from the wide array of fires that have happened in the West. Uh, I think most recently, uh, there's a beer in support of those that happened near Chico. And I'm forgetting its mm-hmm. name right now, but now I feel like I'm going to have to to add this to the the notes that attach to this episode. Uh, but yes, there's a lot of support from the breweries out there in terms of our natural landscape. So that's a good call yep, out.
2: Yep, absolutely.
0: So that's, that's Mount Hamilton and that's Thunder Island Brewery. Oh, yeah,
2: Hamilton uh, Mountain all- and Thunder Island Brewery, yeah.
0: Hamilton Mountain. So I'll I'll post some of the trail beta uh, with with this post and make sure that those who are in the area know how to get there and and are prepared to do that hike.
2: Yeah, go scramble.
0: All right. Well, it was a, it was a pleasure catching up with you. Thank you for your perspective and your time as being a, a park ranger. And I, I hope to catch up with you soon.
2: Thanks, Riley.